Hey everyone, welcome to the Frontline Community Church Podcast. My name is Carol Ann Flood, and I'm the worship director here at Frontline in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Our mission is simple, to see zero people unchanged by Jesus. So whether you've been following Jesus your whole life, or your journey has just begun, we hope that this message will help you draw near to the person of Jesus, be challenged and encouraged by His Word, and be moved to action. We hope these next few moments are a blessing to you and equip you to see who God really is and who you are in Him. Good morning, Frontline. How are we doing in the room this morning? Good. Yeah. Somebody said, yeah, it's good to see you. Welcome if you're watching or joining online either now or later. Uh, Can't wait to get in, but I want to start by asking you a question. Uh, How many of you have heard the term before, little black book? Have you heard of that term before or that phrase before? And chances are, if you're uh, different ages, you actually associate different things with this book. So let me tell you the origin first, and then maybe how other people have interpreted it. The origin of a little black book uh, is it was treated like a ledger. So in the mid-1400s is the first time that it actually started being talked about or used. And it was any like authority figure or king or royalty. They would have this book and in the book would be uh, a name or list of names of people who are not in good standing with the king or with the empire. So these are people who had sinned or, or people who had broken the law, people who were in the wrong. And so there was a ledger that was kept track of them to know who was in good standing or who was not. So King, who was a King Henry VIII actually kept a literal black book in 1536 with the names of sinful people. So uh, if you're from an older generation in the room or listening online, Little Black Book has a little bit different meaning, doesn't it? Uh, In fact, Little Black Book uh, often refers to like former sexual partners. Uh, If you're from an older generation, if you're from a younger generation, uh, maybe the term blacklisted comes to mind. Uh, it's, It's like a running ledger. You think drug dealer, you think hit list, you think like people who are not in good standing, the debts, the brokenness, the pain, whatever it was that was kept track of. So even as one of the definitions I read, it was like, these are secrets or these are sins, or these are uh, things that would be rather kept under the rug that if they were brought out into the light, there would be shame or embarrassment that would come along with them. So little black book, it's an interesting theme that we're going to talk about today, but it actually got me thinking, uh, even like where we're at right now, I got a text from our executive pastor this week uh, and it was a picture. And he said, what do you guys think of Frontline's new skylight? So out in our lobby, um, we're actually doing some work on our roof right now. So they pulled off an old air conditioner. And when they pulled off that old air conditioner, we got a new skylight, which was super exciting that no one anticipated. So you probably didn't even notice when you walked in the lobby today because we tried to cover it up and make it look good. But uh, when I first started here at Frontline, there were a bunch of things here at Frontline that just started breaking. Things that weren't great, things that weren't working, electrical issues, lighting issues, water issues. Well, our roof was one of those big issues. So three years ago, um, we started having leaks. There were a lot of different leaks throughout the building. This is 105,000 square feet. So when we start seeing leaks in one area, usually that means there's leaks in many areas. So we start looking, we get a company to come out. The company looks at it. They walk around our roof and they basically come downstairs and they say, we have really bad news for you. Your roof is in horrible shape. 
It's a 20 year roof. Your building's 20 years old. We have problems. We have issues. They need to be addressed right now. And here's the sticker price. And it was so big and so great. We didn't have the money. It was too far for us even uh, almost to try and fix it or jump in. And so our leadership team, the elder board, uh, basically had this recommendation for our team that we wouldn't jump into fix it moan. We wouldn't jump into capital campaign, but that we would sit and that we would pray and that we would devote 40 days to it, that we would just sit and we would seek God. Here's our problem. Here's the brokenness. Here's, here's one of the things on our ledger that has actually bubbled up to be one of the big things of brokenness in our building. They said, why don't we sit and pray? And here's how God provided, not just then. Then uh, he provided a company that came in and said, we can get you another three years for a super reasonable cost. And so we went with the other three or with the, the three-year solution. And now here we are three years later, and God has actually provided year after year after year with funds that are actually able to replace this roof right now. Isn't that awesome? I just love how God works in that. So the word that many of us would use to describe a story like that is the word redemption. So we're wrapping up a five-week series right now called Winning the War in Your Mind. And so many of us love the story where something is bad or something is broken or something is wrong. And then somehow an external force or a factor or a change of conditions led to the redemption part of the story. Where, where it didn't end in sorrow. It didn't end in grief. It didn't end in loss. It actually ended in redemption. God provided or somebody else provided or they were healed or they were restored or the marriage got back together. We love stories of redemption. So I want to ask uh, maybe a question or get you thinking in a certain line of thought. Uh, what about the things in our lives or in your lives from long ago, maybe even as, as early as childhood? What about those things in your life that you've carried with? things that maybe people have hurt you or things that you've carried. Maybe it was an abuse or a trauma. Maybe it was a divorce that you experienced younger or older. Maybe it was something to have to do with your parents or a family relative. What, what are the things that you would actually put in your little black book? What are the things that you would keep track of, the things that you would refer back to? The, most of us walk around and we're constantly updating this ledger of things that cause pain, things that cause brokenness, things that, that undo other things in the way that they should be, we all keep track of these. So here, let me read the anchor passage for this series since we're in the last week. It says this, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Think about strongholds here as we're talking about this black book, things that we carry along with us. But then it says this, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And this big line, we take captive every thought. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. If we're honest, if we look at a lot of the pain or brokenness or sadness or grief or loss or abuse, anything like that, if we look at our own stories, many of us have thoughts that we're dealing with today that started when that brokenness occurred. And we don't feel like they're held captive to the thinking that Christ wants to give us, they actually wreak havoc on our lives. They actually do damage. They actually affect our relationships with our spouse or significant other. They affect relationships with our kids or our coworkers. They affect our inner talk and our inner dialogue and how we think and how we see the world. If we're honest, 
not every thought we have is held captive. In fact, a lot of the thoughts that we have might actually hold us captive. So the word we're talking about today, I've already mentioned it, is redeem or redemption. This is the the redemption principle as we close out today. And to talk about redemption, we're actually going to a book of the Bible uh, that I've never preached out of before. Uh, In fact, if I'm being really honest with you, I don't love this book. It's called the book of Lamentations. Uh, And so as someone who's extroverted and loves joy and having fun, uh, a book that's literally labeled sadness does not have a giant draw to it, but that's where we're going today. So if you have a Bible, I want you to open it up, but here's the context of it. It's written by a prophet. His, His name is Jeremiah, and it's written 600 years before Jesus actually enters the scene. So Jeremiah is reflecting, he's looking back on this little black book of the Israelite people, the brokenness that occurred in the Israelite people, not just as a nation, but as a people. He's looking at his ancestors, he's looking at his friends, he's looking at the lineage, his family around him, even centuries earlier, and he's looking at a people group who was known for their relationship with God, yet turned their backs on God himself. And so they ran to things that were sinful. They ran to things that were ugly. They ran to idols. They ran to greed. They ran to idolatry. They ran to sexual immorality. As a people, the entire culture moved the opposite direction of what God was asking them to do. And Jeremiah sits down and he starts paging through the history of his people. And he's looking at Israel in its current state. It was ravaged by war, not just physical war, but war of the mind. And he's looking at these people and he's looking at this country, a country and people known by their relationship with God. And he sees how paradoxical it actually is that a people who are known by their relationship with God are so far from him. And he's overwhelmed with it. It's why it's called Lamentations. He's overwhelmed with grief as he's paging through his little black book or Israel's little black book. Here's what he says in Lamentations chapter three, verse 19. He says, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. I remember them. I remember them. I'm sitting with them. I'm reflecting on them. I'm acknowledging their existence. In fact, I'm, I'm going through page by page by page, and as I remember, I am overwhelmed with grief. I want you to think about you for a second. All of us have something like this. We all have a ledger. We all have something that we keep track of, that we pay attention to, and many of us, if we're honest, we're updating it all the time. Brokenness that occurred, people who have wronged us, trust that's been violated, people who took things from us, we're keeping track right? Ouch, that hurt a conversation or that went horrible with our spouse. Wow, I'm going to remember that one. Going back even earlier, like, man, young adulthood, when I struggled or when I tried to, tried to pursue a certain career and I had a teacher or a professor or a coach say, I don't see that in you. Ouch, another pain. You go back earlier, maybe it was an abuse, Maybe it was a physical abuse. Maybe it was verbal abuse. Maybe emotional abuse. Maybe it was spiritual abuse. Maybe something happened in the church that you say, ouch, I'm not gonna trust God again. 
I'm not going to trust the church again. I'm not going to trust Christians again. I can't trust older people in my life. I can't trust parents or family figures or authority figures. So many of us, we just keep updating and updating and updating and updating. And so many of us, it just kind of sticks. We don't really have an outlet for it, do we? In fact, if you've ever seen a counselor, I've seen a couple different counselors, and I don't know what that says about me. Maybe I can't stick to one or I'm... Whatever it was, here's my least favorite question when I walk into a counselor's office for the very first time. They basically say this, so tell me about your life starting with like when you were a kid. No, I'd rather not, actually. I don't, there's a lot in that part of my book. I don't want to go. I got an idea for you, counselor. How about we start with where I'm at right now today and I'll decide how far back we go. That's probably why I've had multiple different people. Now, I don't, I don't want to go there. I don't want to go where you're going to take me. Because this, I don't want to go back and remember what's in my book. I've spent a lot of time and a lot of energy, a lot of effort forgetting it. But what God actually wants to do, the invitation he has for us today, it's why we're talking about the redeem principle, is God actually wants us to remember it so that he can do something about it. And he can't do something about it if we just sweep it under the rug and pretend like it doesn't exist. Everybody around you that's close to you experiences what you or I ignore when it comes to our brokenness or our pain or our little black book of a ledger. What if God could actually do something and change it forever? What if he could redeem it? Let's keep reading here. Lamentations 3, verse 21. It says this, yet this I call to mind. This is the next sentence he says after he just grieved where the people are in their history, where the nation is. He's looking at their city and it's torn down. He's looking at their people who are just owned by, by afflictions of this world, desires of this world. You, David, like the, the people are just shackled and bound and destroyed physically, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, societally. He's looking at the brokenness. And the next sentence he says is, but this I call to mind. And therefore I have, say this word with me. Hope. Okay, don't say it like you're depressed. Say it like you actually have it. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. hope. His whole posture changes. His whole tempo changes. The whole trajectory of the rest of this text changes direction because he has something that he shouldn't have. Yet therefore I have hope because of the Lord's great love we are not consumed. His attention directs from his problems and his brokenness and the pain and the ledger in that little black book. And he says, but hold on, that's not where it ends. That's not where it stays. And I have hope because I'm turning my gaze on the one who can actually change it. I'm turning my gaze on God. It's on the Lord because of his love. We are not consumed. His love prevents the brokenness and pain and sin in our lives, in our background, in our upbringing. His love prevents it from winning. That's what he's writing to us. For his compassions, this word compassions, it's translated into hesed. It also means love. For his love, his compassions never, ever, ever, ever fail. For his love never fails. God has a love for you on a level that many of us haven't actually experienced 
Because here's how many of us go through life. We look at our ledger, and what we think God wants us to do is, hey, somebody that hurt you, somebody that wronged you, somebody that caused pain or dysfunction or an addiction or an abuse, whatever, somebody that did, here's what most of us think what God wants us to do is rip it out of our book, crumble it up, and throw it in the garbage. Most of us think this is God's approach to redemption. What do you mean you just want me to, to forget it? Right, you've heard, you've heard the phrase before, you know, just forgive and forget. Oh, somebody wronged you, somebody hurt you, somebody, somebody broke you, somebody did something to you even early on, so much so that it, it caused something so deep. Maybe it caused anxiety in you. Maybe it seeded depression for you later in life. Maybe it created an inability to relate to other people. Maybe it'll affect your marriage. Maybe it has affected your marriage or your kids. Or You just start thinking all of the brokenness that comes. Maybe you look at your life right now and you can trace it back. Most of us think what God asks us to do is this. Write it down. Crumble it up, forgive, throw it in the trash, and forget it. Does it work? No, not even close. I mean, let, let's, talk, let's talk trash for a second, can we? Let, let's think about this. So I, I have two bins just like these at home, right? I have a garbage can and I have a recycling bin. My garbage can is picked up by a garbage truck who dumps all of the trash that's inside into the truck and they haul it away to what? To a dump. Right? How many of you, right, you're driving on the highway, you're passing a dump, you know you're near the dump long before you see it. Am I right? Because it smells. Right? If you're like me, I, I click that little button that says recirculate the air, and it's like, wow, I am breathing a lot of methane right now. I don't think it's me, but wow. Right? There's got to be a dump somewhere. Here's what happens for most of us in our lives. When we rip something out of our, our journal, out of our book, out of our black book, right? something that we've held on, what happens is we throw it in the dumpster and it gets carried off into some metaphysical, metaphorical dump in our minds. It never gets resolved. And just like a normal dump, it sits there and it decays slowly, slowly, but it stinks and it just sits there and the mound just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And, and for a while, it's like, you can put grass over it, but everybody knows what's underneath, right? I, how about this? You may not be able to smell your own dump, but the people around you can, right? Don't look at your spouse right now. That would be a wise thing not to do. <laughs> These things that we carry deep down inside of us, whether we want to acknowledge them or not, affect us on a pretty deep level. And things that we don't want to deal with, things that we don't want to talk about, things that we don't want to go back and just and remember. We, we don't want to do that because it hurts, because it's painful. What, what if this isn't God's design for redemption? What if he has something better for you? Jeremiah does something really significant in verse 21 and 22. Yet this I call to mind, therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. What he does is he releases his pain. He releases it. Even if you throw it in the trash, there's still a piece of you that's like, yeah, I'm just going to keep it close. 
I'm still gonna hold on to it, right? That closed fist, crumpled up paper in our hands. I don't wanna let that go. What Jeremiah does that causes the flip, it causes the trajectory change, is he actually releases it. And he directs his attention not to his abuser, not to the pain, not to the brokenness, but to the Lord. He actually releases it. Let's define the word redemption. Here's what redemption means if you look it up in the dictionary. It means to buy back, to free from what distresses or harms, to change for the better, to repair, or to restore. None of that happens at a dump. None of it. Happens at a recycling plant. You already see where this is going. Right? We're actually garbage or discarded material that is sent a different direction. It actually has a value because it can be turned into something of even greater value. What if God's desire for redemption isn't a trash bin but a recycling bin? There's a gentleman at our church here who owns a recycling business. And so a couple weeks ago, I was just like, hey, can I just come check it out? I just want to see it. I've never been in one before. You, don't you ever wonder, like, even at home, right? Like, you throw stuff out. My wife has ridden my case for years. Like, you can't just throw the milk in the recycling. You have to empty it, and then wash it. Then I'm like, what? Am I, do I got to do everything? I mean, good grief. She's like, you got to do it. You gotta. So would I do it when she was gone? No. Right? Even I'm like, oh man, extra three steps or trash. But now I actually don't, right? For all of you judging me right now, I can feel it on the looks of your feet. You're like, wow, you earth killer. I recycle now, okay? I recycle. I'm an advocate. I'm advocating for it. So here's what I do, right? I I clean it out. I throw it in the bin. We throw it in the recycling. So he shows me uh, when we're walking through the plant what it looks like when materials actually come in to be recycled. You got a machine that, that you can stick any piece of plastic under there and it, it, it looks it up like it can tell you exactly what type of plastic it is, which means it can be broken down and it gets into these teeny tiny little pellets. And those pellets can then be melted down. They're shipped all over the place. They're melted down and they can be converted into things that actually have significant use in your life. You might not even know it's recycled plastic. It could be part of your car, it could be the dashboard, it could be, could be part of a computer or something that you're using, it could be a case, it could be something in your house. Uh, what he showed me is it, it was this really thick bench. It was like a bench material made of recycled milk cartons. I mean, it, I could try to break it all I want. It's harder, it's stronger than wood. It's, it's like unbreakable. What you can do with things that are recycled, that when you release them, they actually get broken down into a finite, like tiny little level. When they can be melted down, they can actually be turned into something amazing. They can actually be redeemed. How come most of us don't have this approach to the brokenness and pain and abuse that many of us carry on a deep level? I'll tell you why. I had a gentleman uh, that really walked with me for a long time. Um, I was in seminary, I just graduated college, so I was going to pastor school basically, and he wasn't a pastor, he wasn't a coach, uh, he, he wasn't related to me, or he was a business guy. And he looked at me, and it's so funny, I, here's what I think, I think he could smell the stink coming out of my trash bin or out of my landfill. He could smell it. So he said, why don't you come over, come over to my house? So, okay. And so 
You know, his wife was there sometimes, sometimes she wasn't. But I, I remember what we would do is we would sit in his living room. He would have his Bible and he would just ask me this question. So tell me about your life. What's, what's going on right now? What are, you, what are you feeling? What are you experiencing? What are you learning about God right now? The only textbook we ever had was the Bible. And he'd say, man, let, let's open up this passage and let's study this. Let's learn about the character of God. Let's learn about who he is. I still remember about a year and a half in, uh, we kind of got to the root of some of the deep-seated stuff in my life. Uh, there was a person early in my childhood that wounded me deeply like really significantly. And so a lot of it was coming out in the way I related to other people and the way uh, that I approached school or work and the way that that I saw myself or anger issues that I had. Like he had discovered this is all emanating from one particular thing or one particular person. And I'll never forget what he said. He looked at me and he said, David, you need to forgive that person. I said, "Uh, no, next question. What do you mean I need to forgive them? They have no idea the damage that they have done to my life. They have no concept. No idea how much I think about, no idea how much has created in it, no idea how much it's affected other relationships, family work. What do you mean I need to forgive them? And he just looked at me and he said, David, you need to forgive them. That releasing is forgiving and he talked me into it. I mean, he, he provided such a compelling argument, like th- this is what you're supposed, to, you're supposed to release, you're supposed to forgive. So here, here's what I did, I'm sitting in his living room. Here's the ledger, right? I got all these things that I'm holding against this person, all these things. I, I was talking to a different mentor this last week. He, he didn't know I was preaching on this, but he said this, who's the person that has influenced you the most? You might think of a coach or a parent or a pastor or a leader, somebody that you're like, man, they've really shaped me. And he goes, David, the person that's influenced you most is the person you refuse to forgive because they own your mind. You just hold on. So here's what we did. I'm sitting in his living room and he says, David, I'll pray with you. it's It's not complicated. It's very simple, but it's extraordinarily difficult. What you need to do is you need to release that and release them to your heavenly father. And so I did it. I prayed the prayer. I threw it in the recycling bin. I got in my car. I drove away. I made it one mile down the road. I pulled over in a church parking lot and I wept harder than I've ever cried in my entire life. And I wish I could tell you, I left it in that recycling bin. I did not. I went dumpster diving. I went and found it. I pulled it right back out and went, I'm not letting go yet. I'm holding on to this one. I've carried this one for a while. This one's deep. I don't want to let it go yet. Anybody else, you play that game like, okay, I'll forgive you. No, I won't. Give me that back. Right? I'm going to carry it with me. That gives me power. That makes me feel like I'm in charge. I don't owe you that. Here's the problem with that type of mentality. Right? I've been dumpster diving through my stuff for so long kind of came to this conclusion, man, I'm going to do it a thousand times before it gets any easier. And I tell you what, where I'm at today, almost a decade later, wow, it's, it's gotten a whole lot easier to let go. As the ledger gets updated, it's like, why am I holding this? Why am I carrying this? Rip it out. Okay, Jesus, I just give this to you. I release it. I let it go. Because I believe and I've seen too much now 
of you taking the broken and battered and hurtful and painful and too far gone type of things in my life and turning them into something incredible. Let me boil it down just in this statement. Jesus can redeem your pain when you release it to him. That's what Jeremiah models. Jesus can redeem your pain when you release it to him. Isaiah, I think it's Isaiah chapter 44, verse 22. It says this, I have swept away your offenses like a cloud. Your sins like the morning mist return to me for I have redeemed you. Do you know that God also has a little black book? But in it are all of our names. In it are all of our offenses, our sins, our wrongs, the way we've hurt other people, the way we've broken relationships, the way we were unfaithful, the things that we stole. We are in this book and God is holding it. And he's right. But he doesn't leave us there. In fact, you know, Jeremiah writes this 600 years later. Jeremiah didn't know that the hope he had in the Lord would have a face 600 years later walking on our earth. And the person that, that, who, who that was was Jesus. Here Jesus was, right, the son of God who goes to the cross and he hangs on the cross and he does it for us. This is literally what God did. Hanging on the cross, he rips out ledger after ledger, entry after entry, person after person. He rips it all out. And on the cross, the recycling bin actually does its work. And the brokenness and the pain and the filth and the abuse, all of it, it gets boiled down to such a minute level. And Jesus says, I can actually do something with that. It starts with the cross. I mean, you look at the cross, this torture device, right? The, this symbol of death, Jesus redeemed. And here we are centuries later, millenniums later, still talking about the power of the cross. The power not to kill, but to redeem. Jesus is saying, this is what I did for you. I took your pain, your sin, your guilt. I took it to the cross. I recycled it. I redeemed it for you. Now you go do the same for other people. He sets the model. He's not asking us to do anything he hasn't already done. It made me think of a woman that was here at our church. The first time she came uh, was actually a Christmas Eve service a couple years ago. So I'd never met her before. I was sitting right over here in the front. Never met her before. She walks in and she introduces herself. Hi, my name's so-and-so. And I brought a friend. I said, great, what brought you here? Right? And you start asking just kind of like the superficial questions. And she starts saying, well, you know, I, I've actually been church to church to church. And right now I, I'm living out of my car, but I, I also just got a motel. Somebody was really generous with me. So I, I've also been motel to motel and people to people, relationship to relationship, home to home, abuser to abuser. I mean, she starts sharing this overwhelming ledger of here are all the people that have wronged me. Here are all the churches that have wronged me. Here's all the institutions that have wronged me. Here, even going back, here, here's the parents that wronged me and the siblings and the family members. And she was carrying this and she was looking for a place to recycle it because the trash heap was so overflowing, it was just emanating around her. So 
as she comes here, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, put, put your pastor hat on for a second, right? You go, man, I hope it's a good service. Otherwise, we, we might, in short order, be one other person on your ledger, one other church, one other entity that hurts you or that wrongs you. And you know what? She did leave at one point. Actually, she left at multiple points. She was here, and then she left. And then she came back, and then she left again. And she was here, and it was different people, different things, different situations that hurt and went back to the origins of her little black book of pain. But the invite always stood. We said, man, Jesus did this for us. And the amount of times that I have come crawling back to the foot of the cross saying, God, here I am again. That was the posture that we wanted to take as a church. And we said, you can always come back. Here I am years later looking at her. She is a different person today because of the redeeming work of Jesus in her life. And she has moved towards the pain as she's processed through it, as she's had a group of people that have said, let, let me tell you about my hurts and my pains and how Jesus is redeeming those. You are welcome here. You fit here. Years and years later, the same effect is now happening on her. Recycling is a process. That's what I learned visiting that plant. It is a process. It takes time. It's not a microwave. It takes a long time to sift and to boil down and to get to the root where God can actually bring about something powerful and amazing and redemptive in the process. I want to read this last piece of the Lamentations text here. It's Lamentations 3.23. It says this, they are new every morning. Talking about God's love, God's compassion, God's grace. It's new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to, there it is again, wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. If you're wondering, what do I do with this? Where do I go with this? How do I process this? We'll put this online later. Here are the things. This is Jeremiah's process for releasing his pain so that God can do his redemptive work. First one is journal it, write it down. Often what we do is we pretend it doesn't exist. When you actually write down the pain, when you write down the hurt, when you write down the loss, it gives validity to it. You go, yeah, that did happen that did create pain, that did create woundedness, that has affected me. Write it down. Next one is this, share it with somebody, somebody close to you. It could be a counselor, it could be a pastor, it could be your spouse or your kids, a close friend. Share the woundedness, share the pain. Number three, I hate this one, but it's so important. Mourn it. Acknowledge the loss. Acknowledge the pain. Acknowledge the hurt. Acknowledge the damage that is actually carried. And then this one, release it. Release it. Write it down. Crumble it up. Throw it in the recycling bin. Say, Jesus, I'm releasing this to you. I'm not going to dictate control. I'm not going to dictate the outcome. I'm not going to withhold forgiveness. I'm going to do what you've already modeled for me. I'm going to release it. And I'm going to trust you to do something even with my garbage. And then this last one is wait. You just do it over.
over and over and over and over. And years later, you will be a different person than you ever thought possible. God will have released you. You have changed your heart. And the person I forgave, I I could tell you story after story after story of God's goodness over the last 10 years. How he's released me and how he can do that for you. So as we go into this next song, I just want to spend some time uh, just praying together. I know a lot of us, some of the stuff is heavy. Some of the stuff is deep. Some of the stuff we haven't visited before. Some of it you might not even know is there. Here's my encouragement. Would you release it through the Holy Spirit to the person of Jesus? Because only he can take it and redeem it for his glory and for your good. Let's pray together. God, we come before you. This is a hard one, God, for so many of us. The idea of going back to the depths, going back to the brokenness, going back to the pain and actually releasing it. God, there's people in this room, there's people watching online, there's people listening later that that are carrying something that they have carried for decades. This thing that they have written off that that they think all you want them to do is discard it and they hold on to it because it, it, it was too painful just to let go. God, I pray right now that we would actually have courage and boldness as a people to release even that which is most damaging and most painful, that we would release it to you so that you might redeem it. I pray through your Holy Spirit right now that you would just bring our attention, that you would bring our eyes to focus on one thing that we would have the courage to write it down and share it with somebody else. That you would give us permission to grieve it. That as we release it to you, God, we could rest in this place of waiting for you to do something, trusting you as our good and loving Heavenly Father to actually bring about something better. As you bought it back on the cross, we pray. Right now, God, that you would just work, that you would move, that you would make this church a place where people can bring in their ledgers, their black books, their pain, their brokenness, their abuses, their addictions, their sin patterns, you name it, that this would be a church where we could bring it and you put it on display because you redeem those. And so we trust you, we praise you, and we pray all of this in Jesus' powerful name and all God's people said together. We hope this message encouraged you in seeing who God is and who you are in Him. If you want to take a next step, visit frontlinegr.com forward slash connect. We look forward to connecting with you there and we'll see you back here next week.